All right. Good morning, um, Dave. Just to verify, am I coming through? All right. Okay. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Um, it is good to get together and and spend some time together in this way to get to hear from uh, from some of you, get to see some of you. And um, I pray that the next couple of minutes can be hopefully helpful and uh, that we can hear from God on it. I it's I want to talk about a topic that. Um, seems like God has just continued to bring my attention back to uh, often recently and then over the last little bit here. Um, so a little background of why I was thinking about this. I was doing a devotional with uh, the boys this week, and um, this topic came up. And lo and behold, when I was reading in my personal scripture reading, um, the same topic came up. And so there was a little bit of background on why why I've been thinking about it. So I want to talk a bit about um, as Christians, how do we handle how do we handle conflict? How do we handle disagreements? And I want to share uh, more just some some overall principles for it. This topic is big and nuanced and all that. And I want to just share some encouragement of some in looking at God's word, what I see is some basic attitudes and approaches He wants us to bring to conflict. But I want to say up front that this everything I'm going to say actually applies to any difficult situation that you're facing in life. So um, you may uh, okay, everything all right there. I just saw a message pop up. Um, so it, you may find yourself in a conflict, and obviously this would definitely apply to that, or you may simply find yourself going through a hard spot in life, and these same principles I think apply to both. Um, so one, yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to look at this is just I feel like we all deal with conflict probably every day, and some conflicts are little, and they're honest, they're almost funny looking back on them. They can be over in two minutes, and you can kind of laugh and move on. But then there are other conflicts that may last days or weeks, or we probably all, if we're honest, can think of either conflicts that that we have known of that have went on for years and have very serious um, consequences. And so I want us just to, again, look at God's word and hopefully um, to be equipped a bit of how to handle conflicts. And if you're in a conflict, it can feel hopeless and alone and ongoing and just just like this giant burden. And, and then that frustration can lead us to handle it in an ungodly way. So again, I hope that we can just see the reality of, of disagreements or conflicts as a fact of life, but there's something that God equips us um, to go through. So just a quick story, uh, to be honest, on my end of a, an example of a conflict this week. So I like to work um, late at night. For whatever reason, I, I feel alert. Um, that's when I can think. I get a lot of stuff done. So there was a night earlier this week where Nicole went to bed fairly early, and I was up working, I don't know, several more hours, and the downside is that I hop in bed and then I have a hard time just stopping, you know, the things that I was thinking about. So I get in bed and I don't sleep for a while. I'm wide awake and there's stuff that I'm processing. And, oh, I, I find out that Nicole's awake. So my thoughts are good. Nicole's awake. I can process uh, with her what I've been thinking about. And if you put yourself in Nicole's shoes, you can probably assume that she was not thinking, oh, good, Ivan's awake and wants to talk about the things that he's processing right now. So me being the wise and thoughtful husband that I am, I launched off into what I was thinking about. 
And Nicole, being the very caring wife that she is, let me know that this was probably not a good time to be uh, sorting through this. And again, me coming back to being the thoughtful husband that I am, I took that as an opportunity to point out something that was bugging me. And uh, I just want to hit the pause button right there. Can anybody, does this seem like a good, a healthy um, approach and a good result? I, To be honest, are there any other married couples that have solved any real problems at 1230 at night? I, because we really don't have a good track record of it. Um, but, you know, it was, it was yes, we, it was conflict, and we both talked about it the next day, and it was almost funny in a way, and, and we were able to work through, you know, and, and find time to actually talk through it. But not all conflict can be solved easily. Um, and so that's, yeah, part of what I want to look at today is just uh, how do we look at and how do we deal with conflict? So I will say up front, a lot of my thinking has come from reading on the topic, and it's kind of hard to say where all it came from. But um, the devotions that I'm doing with the boys is called The Slippery Slope. And it's by Ken Sandy, who has a peacemaker's ministry. Excellent. Ken Sandy has excellent resources. But in a nutshell, he talks about um, conflict being like a slippery slope, that at the top of the hill is resolving conflict God's way. And if you slide down the one side of the hill, it's where you're in attack and fight mode. And if you slide down the other side of the hill, it's where you don't want to deal with conflict at all. So anyway, the what, what he said this week um, that caught my attention so much, and here are the three, I guess, the three main takeaways that I want us to remember from the sermon, and they are not original with me. But that is that conflict or any hard situation is an opportunity. So conflict is an opportunity, and here are the three things that it gives us. Number one, it's an opportunity to glorify God. Number two, it is an opportunity to serve other people. And number three, it is an opportunity to grow to be more like Jesus. So again, that's I guess that's the framework that I'd like us to keep in mind, that conflict or difficulty is an opportunity to glorify God, to serve other people, and to be and to grow to be more like Jesus. So uh, for our text, um, and this is what I read in devotions this week, if you would flip to Romans 15, and I just want to read the seven verses there, the first seven, uh, and then... We'll, we'll go through the text, and then again, I'll, at the end, we'll come back to those three from, from Ken Sandy. So Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that, 
uh, that is the text that we'll walk through. Just a little bit of background on what we're reading about here. In, in Romans 14 and 15, Paul is addressing the question of, of whether they, how the dietary laws applied to, to uh, from the Old Testament applied in the New Testament. And there was, there was a lot of, of um, variety of opinion in the church, and it was causing disunity of those who felt like you could eat anything and those who felt like you couldn't. Um, and so then Paul, God is referring to them as weak and, and as strong. And when we look at this topic, um, God addresses it in Romans, and he addresses it in 1 Corinthians. And I won't get into all of this, but I think it's very important to note that it's two different situations. And in the one situation, the Jewish people would have likely been considered strong, and the Gentiles were likely considered weak. And in the other situation, it's actually flip-flopped. And so as we read this, let's not consider ourselves to be strong across the board or weak across the board. It depends what the issue is that we're looking at. So he's dealing with, with differences of opinions that are not clearly right or wrong, um, but that, that feel that way. Um, just, again, just a little bit more context before we go through um, chapter 15. If you'd flip back to Romans 14, and I want to just read a few verses there to get us up to speed so we can start looking at the, the verses for the text. Um, verse 1, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So we're, we're called to welcome uh, each other, but not to quarrel over opinions. And I found it interesting that in Dave's passage, it mentioned it warned against um, quarreling over words or things that, don't, that can't be solved. So we're to welcome each other, but to not get hung up on... Um, I think King James talks about doubtful disputations, things that can't really be, may not be able to be solved. Then verse two, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. So in a situation that's, that's not clearly right or wrong, God actually warns both sides. So the one side he's saying, don't despise the other one or kind of write them off. And then to the other group, he's saying, don't judge. Uh, then notice verse 13 for our overall attitude. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of our brother. And then verses 17, 18, and 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So just thinking of, of the how do we deal with conflict, I think verses, um, chapter 14, these gives us some, they give some great input on, on our overall attitude of pursuing peace and mutual upbuilding. All right, so that's, I guess, kind of a background to bring us up to speed. Let's go to chapter 15. And just consider what you know what it is that he tells us of how to handle how to handle differences and what our overall attitude should be. The first thing we see in, in verse one is that those who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. And the second obligation is to not please themselves. And I find it interesting that um, that we're called, the word there for failings is, it is a shortcoming. It's something that wouldn't have to be that way. And God is asking if, 
if we if if he through his strength has allowed us to be strong then the obligation of the strong is to bear up or to carry actually the the weight of the weak and as you think about that it has to be that way you can't ask the weaker person to be strong for the stronger person and so god is saying that um that if we're in a conflict and we find ourselves being the stronger one, we are to number one to bear the failings of the weak, and then the second advice or the second command is to not please ourselves. And I don't know about you, but when conflict happens, I can get very zoned in on pleasing myself, and the idea of having the other person's best interest in mind um, can quickly go out the window. Um, so God says that our attitude should be one of of not trying to please ourselves. Then going on into verse two, this is where he opens it up to all of it, to you know whether it's strong or weak. And he's saying everybody is to attempt to please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. And I find it so interesting in this passage. Up until this point, he's talked about your brother, your brother, and I think this is clearly to deal with with church. But here he even goes broader than that, and he, he opens that up to our neighbor. So we're to please our neighbor. And you know, one thing I want to just be very clear here is this is not talking about being a people pleaser. Um, because when somebody is just a people pleaser, if you think about it, that's actually a very selfish thing to do. That's not looking out for the other person. You're just, you're trying to make them happy so that they're happy with you. Um, and in Galatians, Paul says that he is not trying to please people or else he would not be a servant of Christ. So it's not sacrificing on doctrinal issues, but it's the rest of this verse, I think, is so key. We're trying to please each other for the other person's good. And I think that is so key that in a conflict, we're trying to please the other person and we're thinking, OK, what you know, what would be good for the other person? And sometimes that the good is to forgive and overlook. And then other times the good is to confront very straightforwardly. One of the things that we say around our house often, particularly for our four-year-old, but um, a good reminder for us adults is, hey, are those words that build up or tear down? And, and I think that that, as simple as that is, is a good grid for me. Am I building up or am I tearing down? Um, then let's go on to verse 3. And he says that Christ, he points us out, our example is Christ, that Christ did not please himself. And so for those of us who are saved, we know that the only reason we're saved is that Christ did not please himself. He stepped in when we actually had conflict with him. We were against him, and he steps in and redeems us. So Christ is our example. And then one of the things that is fascinating is he doesn't point to examples in Christ's life. I mean, he could have pointed to all kinds of things, but he actually goes back to Scripture, and he says, Christ is our example, and the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's quoting Psalm, um, I think it's 69. And it has the idea if, the people who were um, literally saying things against God or bringing affronts to God and his character, you know, whenever we do that to God who is holy, those things come back on ourselves. 
And Jesus actually took all of those reproaches that we had directed at God, and he bore them on himself, and he redeemed us from them. And, you know, when you're in a conflict, there are very few things harder to take than when you're wrongfully accused. Can anybody else relate to that? Just when you feel like that is not true. There, what you know, what is being said about me is not true. And as you think about Christ, the things that were said about him weren't true of him. I mean, he was bearing my sins, um, but he was willing to take that and to take my sins away. So whenever we're in conflict or going through hard times, the example of Christ and his salvation is the core. The gospel is the core of how we look at it. Then he goes on to explain, I think, why he quoted scripture in verse four, he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement or the comfort of scripture, we might have hope. And I need this reminder when I'm going through hard times or conflict that God's word is written for my instruction and it's for everything that I face. Um, and God's word, God's word talks about that through it, it will help with endurance and encouragement. And conflict can be discouraging. You can feel alone. You can feel like you're never going to get through it. But I, I love that he says that God's word brings both endurance and encouragement. And then the end result is that we might have hope. Do you see that in the end of verse four? And so I just, you know, when I, I want to keep this in mind when I'm dealing with things that God's word is our source of hope. And so I just want to encourage you if, you know, if there are things that you are going through, whether there's conflict that feels too big to get through or too long, um, that God does promise that his word will bring us hope. And, and the gospel is all about hope. Um, it, you know, it's described as hope that, um, that we have a living hope. Faith is described in, in the terms of that it's, it is the, um, the substance of things hoped for. And scripture is what keeps our hope anchored uh, in hard times. So in conflict, again, if we're looking out for the good of others, we're remembering Christ, digging into God's word. And then verse five is a prayer, actually, that the God of endurance and encouragement, the same words that he used to describe what, what the word of God does for us, um, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So it's a prayer to God and a reminder that even though conflict and hard times feel lonely, we're never actually alone. That God encourages us through his word, but he is right there with us and he is doing the same thing. He's granting us endurance and encouragement. And the, the prayer is that he allows us to live in harmony or in a one-mindedness, which is a shared goal as believers, um, the way that Christ has. So for believers, we're never really alone in conflict. God is always working towards reconciliation or to bring his peace and his shalom to a situation. And that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, that there aren't, you know, that that there can always be reconciliation in every case, but God is always working to bring us into harmony. And then verse six, the goal is that together with one voice, we can glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have you have a church that's struggling with with how do you deal with these differences of, of opinion and, and practice and all this stuff that's so hard. And God is saying that 
in the end, what his goal is and what he does is that with one voice, we sing the same, the same song of glorifying God. And when I think about it, it's um, when I think about singing the same song, I don't picture that it is all of us singing the same part that we're singing in unison, but more the idea that we're singing in harmony where there are lots of differences, but our overall goal and what the song that we're singing is one of glorifying God, but God somehow blends it, blends it together. And I think it's key at the start of verse six that he says he has the word together there. So he's writing to a church that was struggling deeply with being divided. And he's saying that he will do these things that together, instead of being divided, they can actually glorify, glorify Christ Jesus. And then verse 7, he ends this all up with this statement, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I just find that to be so challenging and convicting that in the end, to think about how did Christ welcome me? And am I willing to extend that kind of welcome to other people, the kind of welcome that is you know, just an open, an openness of heart. Um, hey, come, you know, it's it's kind of the idea of come into our house, uh, let's have a meal, let's talk, um, I want to walk with you. And and he's saying that, you know what, even if there are differences, can you welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you? Another thing I'll challenge us with is that he addresses these things at length in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. And he doesn't actually spell out a formula to eliminate the differences. Did anybody else think about that? It's almost like he is saying these things are reality, and they it is the way um, that life will go, and how do you walk in them? Um, so I just I find it interesting that he doesn't say, um, "Hey, here's how you get rid of it," but rather, how do you as as believers walk with other believers where there's conflicts and differences? in a way that glorifies God. And verse, um, the end of verse 6 talks about glorifying God. The end of verse 7 talks about glorifying God. That is the whole goal of how we would handle conflict and hard times is, is this glorifying God? Um, and I invite you just to flip over to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And that is the other place in scripture where where God is addressing these kinds of differences and in the end of those pa in that passage he says something very similar about the glory of God verse 31 so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God and so as i look at this that in the end that has to be our goal if we're going to handle um, conflict or hard times in a in a godly way is is my goal to glorify God. Um, again, kind of referencing Ken Sandy, he was talking about how in our life, we're always glorifying something. We're always giving something prominence, whether we recognize it or not. And in conflict or difficult times, God is giving us a great opportunity to glorify him, to make him big. Um, but it's easy to get stuck on other things. And here's a quote from Ken Sandy. He said, your actions show either that you have a big God or that you have a big self and big problems. Let me read that again because it's kind of painful. Your actions show either you have a big God or that you have a big self and big problems. 
And so it's a challenge just to, to remember that we are always glorifying something. Um, so again, just to wrap up, I want to go back to the three points that I had shared from actually from the boys devotional there of that conflict is an opportunity to do three things. And and the first one is glorify God. And, and I, I hope that that's obvious from Romans and, and Corinthians, why that has to be our goal of glorifying God. And to me, one of the things that I want to ask myself in conflict and in hard situations is how can I glorify God in this situation? How can I glorify God in this situation? Because that that is very different than what my natural reaction is of trying to figure out how to get my way. And then the second thing, again, is is serving people. And often I find that conflict brings, brings out the worst in me instead of the best. And when we find ourselves having differences of opinion, um, it is such an opportunity to serve each other. And, you know, God, there's just so many ways that God asks us to serve others, to bless other people, to have their good in mind. So the question I want to ask myself with that is how can I serve others in this situation? And then the last one is to grow to be more like Christ. And a question for myself there is what is God teaching me in this situation? And, you know, as I look back, you know, on my life and I think about the different times that I have found myself in conflict or walked with others that are going through conflict, as hard as it is to admit, those are often the times I think that God has used to help me to grow in him. Because, and you may not, I may not even be aware of what all is happening, but over time, somehow conflict just has a way of exposing things in us that I don't believe I at least would have seen in other times. And I'm so thankful that God is with us and he uses those things to show us things. Um, I mean, there's just, just looking at my heart, there's so much selfishness that God has turned over in conflict. There's so much of, um, you know, fear or worried about what other people are thinking, not for their best interest that God turns over in conflict. So again, I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in conflict, it probably feels like God is plowing and that is painful, and you probably wonder where he's headed, but I think often looking back, you can see what he's overturning or in a good way um, bringing to the surface. One of the things that I really like about these three things, the opportunities are that regardless of the situation, regardless of how the other person responds, and regardless how it turns out in the end, I can always glorify God I can always serve other people and I can always grow to be more like Christ in these situations, regardless of the choices that others make. And I think that is what God, what God calls us to. So again, um, yeah, I want to just encourage you with these things to dig into, dig into God's word for yourself. If you're facing these kinds of situations um, and by the grace of God, I hope we can see them as opportunities. By the grace of God, I hope that as a church we can grow in um, you know, how do you handle these, how do you handle differences that come up because of, of viewpoints on topics, because of backgrounds, because of personalities, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and hopefully principles from God's word and his presence can guide us, fill us with hope, which he promises to do 
and in the end, bring God glory, which is really what all of this is about, is somehow glorifying God as his body and as his followers. That is all that I have to share. I will, um, I'm going to read one verse and I'll turn it over to Dave. This is verse 13 out of Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 